It is Sunday, the 19th of December, 2021, and this is episode 406 of Digital Outbox. Welcome to December, probably the latest in December we've ever done a podcast. I am Chris and Ian is here. We're, we're normally in hibernation by now, Ian. Uh, we are, although I think last year we did it around the same date. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> so much I there was a, maybe, maybe it wasn't last year, there was one year where, where we kind of shut down and said that's us done and there was a, just a plethora oh, of tech right. news yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were like, well, we, we really should come to that. do one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, anyway, it is the 19th of December, so everyone's obviously gearing up for uh, the Christmas and festive breaks. Um, but, uh, I thought you were going to see a lockdown. <laughs> festive breaks that are going to be very, very well in lockdown year. I think that's actually more to the point, isn't it? I think they're going to save it for uh, December the 27th, though. Uh, yeah, exactly. Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah, Boxing Day lockdown. Yeah. Box, Boxing Day box. Amazon are going to stop taking visa payments. So our next festive holidays are going to be very different. So they clearly have been in negotiations with visa around their uh, credit card payment uh, fees and have basically been saying that over time, things like credit card payment fees should be going down uh, as efficiency and computers get better. But instead, they're going up. Amazon have held firm and said, right, OK, we're just not going to start to accept visa on our stores anymore. And so far, no one's blinked as far as I know. Amazon are offering some uh, special offers for people to add uh, MasterCard or any other payment types to their accounts uh, and discounts. And I've not, a visa have said it's very disappointing that Amazon have made this decision. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're sat. So we all thought it was going to kind of blow over. Uh, but no, it's been made a public thing. And now it almost feels like a little bit of uh, that game of chicken. You know, we're driving towards each other. Who's going to be the first one to swerve? And we're a month away, so 19th January, and I think it came out about a month from, from when we're doing this pod. Yep. So so nobody's blinked yet, um, and obviously they're, they've not lost the Christmas season from a visa perspective, but a lot of people will have moved. Yeah, I was, yeah, exactly. Amazon have not taken away the payments during this Christmas period. They still, yeah. still want to be able to sell all that stuff. Um, I, I understand the argument that, yes, you would expect payment processing fees to be coming down over time. Um, however... As everything's moving online, there is a massive ramp up in the amount of technology, uh, fraud protection, all those other things that, uh, you know, have sort of maybe taken a backseat because online retail was only growing slowly. Suddenly with a massive spurt and growth of uh, online retail, you can imagine the investment going into their platforms and anyone who's putting investment into platform needs to recover their costs. Now, whether... I mean, we don't know the fees involved and what what, what they get charged, but uh, uh, clearly there's a disagreement about you know those two things. And and I'm guessing also because they're picking out Visa, particularly, I'm guessing that you know other payment providers have managed to optimize a bit more. And it's and it's a strange. I mean, obviously these are big global firms. You know, this affects UK only. They're both both are at pains to say nothing to do with Brexit. But they partner with Visa in America for an Amazon card. And that seemingly is up for renegotiation as well. And I think, I think we see this from time to time. These big companies will do a deal with a certain bank or and, and then you know it'll last for X number of years and then there's competition at the end of it. 
I mean, what is bigger ultimately? Is it Visa or Amazon? And does that show how much monopoly power Amazon has? Is that actually a a dangerous thing uh, that Amazon have got there? That that if them saying we're not going to do Visa anymore is you know real significant impact in Visa's business when Visa's got other competitors in the market? That's monopolistic power being used, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that's why we're seeing governments around the world starting to rally against, you know, Amazon, Microsoft. Well, less Microsoft, but you know, Apple, Google, Facebook. Yeah, Sorry, Microsoft Meta. are out of the view now, aren't they? Whereas they were very yeah, much yeah. the focus of that view not that long ago. Uh, so yeah, I wonder whether something will come to a head just in the new year. Obviously, as things become real. But yeah, I've got no Visa payment method in my uh, sorry Mastercard payment method in my Amazon just yet. So that's interesting. Um, some security stuff. Uh, six million Sky routers had a serious security flaw. Uh, so the Sky hubs over the years have all sort of contained a, a, a sort of a, a flaw that allowed people in. I haven't really followed this on. I, um, I haven't ever had a Sky hub in my house, but if you have, then it sounds a bit worrying. Uh, yeah, and it, when it was, I think the problem being researchers had highlighted this to Sky 18 months ago. So it's taken them 18 months to fully address, which is, I think that's the biggest issue. We're, we're, we're going to talk about security flaws. You know, there's been a, there's a bit of a theme through the podcast today around that. Um, flaws are there, you know, software's complex. Um, you know, it's 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 just a fact of life now that, that, that people look for flaws. But um, to have... And, and Sky have said that because they had to do it at such scale, because it was six million devices, and and I get that because it's but it's not just one type of hardware. It was across what's that six, seven nice devices yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so a number of devices. Um, so yeah, um, and it's a it's it's a flaw in software. It's software that Sky owned. You know, so um, it is it is on. Is on their head. I, I guess anybody listening, um, if you've got a router, don't just go with the default admin passwords. And I think that's, know, that's that's the, what they're saying is the you know if you change away from that admin password, it makes things significantly harder to exploit. So yeah, yeah. do just change your, especially as a lot of these hubs would have come in the the time period where uh, having the default password was kind of standard thing to do. Whereas now modern day hubs kind of come with randomly generated passwords on a per device basis. Um, so yeah. Okay, just, yeah, if you've got a Sky Hub at all, then yeah, recommend you, or not recommend, I <laughs> strongly recommend that you change your admin password on that one um, and make sure that it's updated to the latest firmware. Um, Facebook and Instagram, uh, meanwhile, um, the the encryption plans that were, well, were highlighted and, and communicated by uh, Meta look like they're now going to be delayed until 2023 um, because of pushback from governments and, and child protection agencies saying please don't do this it's going to stop us be able to protect um children and uncover you know criminal activity on your services uh meta have um sort of said okay we will let's have some more time and get this implemented in a way that we can still help out with those things uh, whilst protecting general users data uh, yes it's a, it's a difficult one because you know we have you know as end users you think if it's end-to-end encrypted then good but there's obviously people take advantage of it they want to as i said they want to get it right we've seen apple similarly have problems around its um the, the child sex abuse imaging kind of i was going to do scanning on device that's all been dropped and pushed out to just 
a later update. So they're not even putting a timescale against it because of pushback from, you know, lots of privacy advocates, but also I think they realise they're they're navigating they're navigating tricky waters, um, and they need to make it really clear to end users, you know, how they're protecting our data, but at the same time nobody because it's because it's we've talked about this a couple of times. As soon as you start saying child sex abuse, and that's what the governments are all using, because for the public, that's the easy one that goes. Companies must do more. Uh, but e- equally, I, I think you know we, as general public, we're kind of protected. I think from what goes on on the internet and how dangerous it is. The fact that organisations such as the NSPCC are, um, are so worried about all you know the sort of use of messaging platforms and how that can lead to abuse and, and certainly vulnerable situations the fact that they're, they're there and they're, they're so worried about it kind of should lead us to at least have that you know benefit of the doubt that you know the reason that the government wants to do this is to um help those children or at least reduce the number of uh, vulnerable uh people on the internet and i <sighs> It, it, you're right it's a tricky one but it, i can see from both angles it does seem like end-to-end encryption is the direction of travel but clearly meta and the number of companies that they own is is a significant portion of that traffic and like i say if they if they end up using end-to-end then i guess that's why these these organizations are getting more and more desperate that they've got no way of monitoring or checking or you know resolving situations yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's, and also, I mean, there's so much of the kind of, we'll say, criminal traffic has moved on to Signal and Telegram, um, just because they know, you know, they're getting less press, whereas these other ones are, you know, publicly listed, um, got a, a much more consumer facing, and they have got a real, they've got a real challenge around image. Yeah, uh, and and you know, I guess all these platforms. You're always get the criminals, or they're always going to be ending up using um, more and more obscure platforms until the point where everyone owns their own technology to do this. You know, that's ultimately where you end up, and then got no hope. And I guess that's again another reason why they they want this to be. And and the fact that yeah, children are more likely to be on these kind of platforms than than they are on that Telegram, Telegraph. Um, you know, places where you know they're, they're less child focused. I guess. Hmm. Tricky one. I think we'll let the adults in the room. Unfortunately, uh, some of our government probably can't be considered oh, in, that, <laughs> in that no, bracket. Exactly. So, well, and, and and that's part of the problem because I don't. We have a we have an inherent mistrust of our governments right now. We do. You know, in, in lots of different ways. You know, and 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 then again. You know, if you were in China right now, would you be trusting the government yeah. around anything with uh, encryption? Yeah, and 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 we've and you know, we we call out China all the time. But as we said, not that long ago, our government has provably and repeatedly broken the law, and our spy agencies have repeatedly gone outside their remits. Uh, that you know, and it wouldn't have happened without uh, we wouldn't have known about it unless it was uh, whistleblowing that's that's uncovered a lot of this stuff going on. If only they whistleblowed about that stuff rather than just just the parties that are ongoing, but. It's harder to dig into all that stuff, isn't it? Apple has filed a lawsuit against um, an NSO group over Pegasus spyware. So this is to Apple saying, right, you have deliberately produced software that allows users to crack our software. We are removing all your ability to use anything Apple uh, in your organization from now on. I think is that is that a fair summary? Yeah, people have wondered for a long time why Apple haven't done this already. So, so, so Pegasus. So, so 
So Pegasus was a bit of spyware that's been that's been found on um, lots of journalist phones, lots of politicians' phones, um, and it's you know, and the NSO group, you know, who are an Israeli company, sold this software and technology to a number of governments, um, and they've almost tried to put a kind of uh, almost like a nice face on it, as if as if it was like you know we're only going to use it to attack terrorists, but that's clearly not the case. Um, but it does mean Pegasus gives I mean basically it's nearly you get almost hundred percent access to the phone's data. It is you know it's almost like root access to all the data on the phone. It is uh, nowadays the, the it's basically arms dealing, right? And and the suit you know it is on it an is. international basis. It's basically arms dealing. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily get treated like that. Or I think more and more companies, countries, and organisations are realising that fact. Um, the fact that you can just have a website that offers up for sale, you know, these these products and services. Now, the NSO is saying they're not they're not selling it to people they don't trust or think are trustworthy. But again, that's it's kind of that depends on your <laughs> definition of trustworthy and what part of the world you live in, really, isn't it? Uh, as to what that is. Anyway, so. Um, well, the court case, whether that injunction will happen or not, I don't know. Is is it sort of scheduled for um, some point to be heard? Um, I think they've just filed the injunction at the moment, so it's probably probably got some you know time to run. Due process. Um, but I think that because Apple had put in kind of you know fixes and workarounds. Just previously, Pegasus worked by it was like a iMessage text that looked like a link. You clicked on the link, and that was how that was the back door in. Um, the new methods are, are basically zero click. You can almost silently hack your phone. Mm. Um, it's pretty pretty advanced, pretty scary stuff that they're doing now. And again, like we said, uh, you know, well, we are, well, in fact, we're going to talk about um, next up. These vulnerabilities exist in places that not necessarily your own code, but maybe packages. Uh, and and we've had a, a ex- well, what what's been described as a most critical vulnerability in the last decade, in the last few weeks, basically, where um, Log four shell is that right? It is the package. This, this is well, no, that's so. Uh, the, the, <laughs> this is well, it's, it's it's a bit like WannaCry. So log four shell is what the flaw is being dubbed. Ah, okay. Um, but it's it comes from a package called log four J. Um, so it's an open source, um, logging package that's been maintained by you know three four individuals for years. And it's everywhere, so it's not just. And log for J was log for Java, was that right? It's because it's yeah, that's where it started yep. off, and everyone then thought, "Oh, it's okay. I don't use Java." Yeah, and that does um, that so many, out not to be true. <laughs> yeah, so many companies have basically grabbed that open source package and they're using it within their own binaries. They're using it as a within their own web servers. It's just everywhere, um, and the flaw, the flaw. I mean, I mean, it was it was amazing what it, I mean, it impacted Minecraft, iCloud. Um, but VMware's impacted, NetApps are impacted. There was lots of it's... there was like it's things like Kubernetes and that orchestration was. I, I, there's something in there that was also hooked in or at, la- yeah. at least able to hook into it. So all these places where this just one package, as as we spoke about before the podcast, it's it's that defecto normal place where if you Google what shall I do to implement logging into my application, well most people point towards this applica- this package. Um, so yeah, pretty you know widely accepted, widely. Dis- distributed and actually just let everyone um it, it lets you in is it is it completely zero click or is it uh um is it, it's like a single it, click? not far off yeah it's it's like, uh, like like for minecraft it was almost like putting in a chat window you could put in like this you know 
put in this command and there you can grab server credentials you could wipe data it just you, you were in um and that's that's the challenge because it's because this package is so ubiquitous around particularly web hosting and um, because every time you set up a web server you want to log what's going on so you want a, a good logging package and this is almost the default one that people go to and it's the same for a lot of you know, if you look at particularly an enterprise, you're looking for software to log what it's doing and yeah. has it had problems. So it's, it's And obviously everywhere. if you're in that server and able to act, so basically you could get in and access to that server with no password uh, and therefore you can inject whatever you like in there, whether it be listening for, you know, tr secure transactions, looking at what's being typed in and all that kind of stuff, which if you can't get to the uh, web server, you can't see. So, yeah suddenly it's like the soft underbelly is exposed um and yeah it's been a massive uh job for a lot of companies recently scrambling around um identifying everywhere where this was used and and fixing it and equally the scrutiny now on that package means that uh, they have identified a couple of other exploits that uh they've fixed at the same time so again there'll be more vendors scrabbling around upgrading and unpackaging their, their software in the coming weeks as well absolutely and i think I think it also shows the the you know the vulnerability is you know we've we've seen it more and more from an enterprise perspective around the kind of supply chain you know you think it is just that particular software package that you're using but it's the everything else that it then calls on it's all the open source packages um this has got the world's attention just because it's used everywhere and if if you think this is the only you know package that's got a flaw and um, kidding ourselves on so this is I don't know. It just feels like this is the the start of yeah. many examples of we're going to see more of this. The great thing about open source is the fact that it's open source and the fact that people can go yes. and review that source code. And therefore, there is an assumption that people are reviewing that source code. So, but in many many cases for packages, that's not the you know that's not the case. People have assumed that works as done rather than actually or having the right people look at it in the right way. You know, you or I could look at a, that package and probably not find any vulnerabilities because it all looks like it's coded well but you need that extra you know that the the forensic capabilities of understanding how people use modern day exploits uh, to see what what goes on but uh, yeah it and and i think you're right i think we are now going to see big companies doing due diligence on all the open source packages they use and have security reviews of all of those rather than that assumption that hey because it's open source there's not going to be anything there's not going to be anything bad in here you know like and a lot of a lot of post-source packages, I mean, they don't get the same investment that uh, you know, a, you know, an sell an enterprise or off-the-shelf paid-for you know software package get. Sometimes you get more because you get the you know the power of the mass amount of people you know contributing and fixing things. But the alternative is you might just have a small group of people maintaining it, and and also how many so how many government um, how many government agencies. How many you know companies like NSO were aware of this flaw and were using it? You know, so for all we know, there's you know every government has probably got a list of here's the known backdoors for things that we're not we don't want to declare because it's allowing them to infiltrate into somewhere else. Well, certainly, all our security agencies, that's exactly what they've got, and that's what they're saying over time. Their access is being degraded as these holes and security things are, are fixed. We have new legislation in the UK which will uh, protect smart devices um, uh, and homes supposedly from being hacked by 
absolutely enforcing well enforcing with fines um a a ban on default password use in uh, devices so this was kind of like internet of things and all these devices you have in your home so your router your lights your you know thermostat all these things that exist in your network none of them can now have a default password um, to try and just protect from people scanning networks and, and easily being able to navigate them and actually implant whatever they like um, into your home network and you know and and uh, yeah I think it's a it seems like a sensible first approach it's a, it's another one of those things where you know it makes it harder for hackers but it also makes it hard for consumers and which is why so many times we see those default passwords uh, on devices. Right, absolutely. You know, I was I was talking about my, you know, it was just just last week how I use a random password for everything. I've got eight hundred accounts in one password now, just because I try different things and I put, you know, and and this is this is going to be part of the the problem round. Um, so, that's if you're a big enterprise companies, it's fine. If they're Apple's and Google's, it's Microsoft. It's fine. They don't they don't really follow this kind of pattern. It's the particularly in your smart home. It's your cheap. Chinese, why am I paying 50 quid for this Hue switch when I could buy a 20 quid one that's got 5,000 reviews? It's those, and also it's it's not, they're not going to target the Chinese company that produces it. They're going to target the reseller that's actually selling them into the UK. Right, okay. So, so a lot of these, is it dropship yeah. selling that they call it? So I think they're going to go after, you know, because you, you, see, you see these kind of videos on YouTube how it's like, I can work from anywhere and I just contact and Amazon does it all for me. I do nothing. It's like, no, you're responsible. It's not going to be Amazon. It's you. You have a responsibility as that reseller and they'll come after you if you don't make sure you've done your due diligence and it's set up properly. And this is uh, confined up to 10 million or 4% of global turnover. Uh, and as if they're called out and they don't do anything about it, there's a 20,000 pound a day file for on ongoing uh, contraventions. And I, I guess that, does really slam down on those uh drop shippers and really yeah like you say it, it, they can't just act like the the middleman flooding a market with product that is actually uh unsecure and and, and potentially dangerous in that in that regard because because that i mean i've seen a couple of them it's the way they're like amazon do it all for me i do nothing it's take me one hour research i make 20 grand this week amazon have done it all for me use it all mugs for not doing this mm. and it's like yeah but but it's it's a bit like you're you know the folk that are here so to make money in the stock market so do what I say and you'll all make the same it's like yeah okay mate um and the the, the bit I'm loving about this and I've been smiling since since I remember reminding myself when I was reading through the show notes BBC this is a BBC article and um the example they said 2017 hackers stole data from a US casino via an internet connected fish tank <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it's just something you would not imagine at all right just bonkers. And equally, as as uh, China or any other nefarious actor, it's a great way of flooding the market with cheap and uh, insecure devices, isn't it? So, and, and the smart home stuff. I mean, I know, I know, I know. We've all got various amounts, but but it's just getting more and more, especially with the connected, you know, cameras, and you know, it's just becoming more and more that yeah, you know, yeah. When we have one more gunship drones uh, surveying our house, they could turn them against us, couldn't they? If only. UK competition watchdog has ordered Meta to sell Giphy. So the UK, <laughs> wow, that's that's quite stepping up, isn't it? Just telling what's what. Um, but they say that uh, Meta buying or owning Giphy is just squashing competition um, and they, they're not happy. 
Uh, yeah, so CMA are getting quite quite toothy, you know. So they really are starting to um, investigate more, and so I think in the past CMA would probably not have, you know, found you know found against this. Particularly as it feels a bit of a strange one to pick on. If you look at, you know, you look at the fact that they bought like WhatsApp and Instagram. It seems a strange one to, and, and, but maybe this is the perfect one because it's a smaller. A smaller purchase it's a smaller market and it is just saying actually no um and, but yeah and Giphy so, is and, used in a, quite, quite a lot of different places as well absolutely um but but i mean and just calling out how we're saying they're getting toothy this is the first time cma has blocked a major digital tech deal you know so so and, and again i don't know is this the politics behind you know brexit's taking place and we're wanting to be seen as a you know, the CMA now starting to put itself onto, you know, we are a global player. We will make calls on these deals. Yeah, I, and it, and it's it's interesting, and I don't know how it and what it means for, because obviously we've only got the jurisdiction in the UK, so I don't know whether that just means in the UK it has to have a subsidiary, but in the wide or or they just don't use it in the UK. I'm not sure how it works really. Uh, and we're uh, uh, the reason I think it's going to be really interesting is we've talked about like tax before with these big, you know, mostly American, but they're worldwide businesses. And how how does a country on its own legislate and 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 make sure that you know you know Apple doesn't go to Ireland and does it taxes there and all that kind of stuff? And it's almost like what Meta have come back and said. So so CMA have warned at the time it could require Facebook to unwind the deal and sell off Giphy in its entirety. Um, Meta's lawyers have said this provisional finding contained fundamental errors of law and fact <laughs> by seeking to undo the acquisition in circumstances where Giphy does not even carry on business in the UK. Mm. Not only is the CME engaged in an extraterritorial overreach, but the CME is sending a chilling message to startup entrepreneurs. Do not build new companies because you will not be able to sell them. Mm. So, but it, it, so this isn't done. Obviously, Meta are going to appeal this and well, but, a bit like right. my statement is uh, how how do we as a, a single country prevent that from happening? I mean, ultimately, it probably just says, you know, they could say, well, Facebook can't operate in the UK. Don't know. It's hard. It, 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 it's an odd one because mm. it's like you know because because Facebook Meta it's an American company. Giphy, I think, was American as well, um, and it's it's it just feels a bit odd that. You know, are these companies now going to have to get I mean, how many countries in the world is there? What's three hundred? They're going to have to get three hundred countries all signing on to, you know, you need to agree because your platform's global. Yeah. Um, I think they'll just turn on and go right. Can't use Giphy in UK. Uh, yeah, and and like you know, I, I think whilst I don't know, you know, Meta's angle of if you're a, you want to, I mean, a lot of people do set up these companies, services, and organisations in order to sell them on, and and that does cause a problem at that point but equally you should probably be building companies to run yourself <laughs> at some level uh yeah uh, also apple and google's mobile duopoly is likely to face a uk antitrust action um so this is basically the the kind of first fires shot from uh, antitrust in the uk saying we don't like the fact there's only two mobile operators that do pretty much everything and you lock everyone into all of your app stores so yeah we they're kind of just sending that warning that we don't like it we're looking at things we can do about it i guess saying it's up to you whether you accelerate your you know 
monopolies, you know, de- decommissioning your monopolies. And we've seen from Apple that they really want to cling on to it as hard as they can, uh, whilst we have also seen quite a lot of movement in, say, the last six months, basically. Uh, yeah, so, and this was, a, I think it was an 800-page um, report just last week that came out. Uh, and, and they really highlighted things like, you know how Apple have went strong on the we're killing third-party ads and the tracking, but they also showed that, yeah, but they're doing likewise in the background and they're just not exposing that to you. And this is antitrust and anti-competitive. Um, but they were also highlighting how Google does very similar things. And and Google and Apple are almost playing off each other to say, well, we don't have a control of the market because they're, they're, there's a great yin and yang there. But when you've only got two choices, it is a duopoly. You know, there is no yeah, other... Yeah, Apple say Google has so many different devices, it's unbelievable. They've got billions and billions of them. And then Google say, yeah, but Apple has all the billions of money. <laughs> yeah. So that's how they and play it's a very, yeah. Exactly. It's a very convenient you know, argument. And it gets around, I guess, what, Microsoft in the, the 90s and 2000s, where they had they had both. You know, they, had the, they had the market reach, they had the share, they had the money. And that was why, and then they overreached with things like Internet Explorer and other things. It all got really messy for them. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes and what they actually do. And obviously, Apple and Google are, are like rubbish. You know, they're saying not at all. And also, look how many jobs we support in the UK. Yeah, you know, highlighting all these kind of things. Yeah, it's they're like... talking macroeconomic things of, okay, we'll just oh, yes. threaten your threaten all your jobs there, mate if you carry on down yep. that route um and and we still yet don't know how much it does cost to operate those platforms it must cost a lot yet for the amount of money that's flowing around it's probably you know there is a, a degree of uh, fat being included in the in the in the... Uh, definitely and because and, because uh, it wouldn't hold they wouldn't be you know so you, you mentioned apple apple are really fighting tooth and nail around their app store more than i thought they would i thought they'd be like Right. Okay, you can now do this. Or you yeah, can good now... news story kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and they're really fighting hard around that. You know, thirty percent or fifteen percent. You know, they're really digging in. And there is an. I mean, okay. The figures, figures aside, there is a strong. You know, the reason that Apple's environment is so pristine and clean is because the effort they put into keeping it pristine and clean, and that doesn't come for free. Uh, and the alternative is an environment which is not pristine, is unsecure or insecure, and has vulnerabilities and all those things becomes harder to control if you have multiple app stores with you know multiple different vetting excuse me vetting procedures um so yeah whether we'll find out um what those figures end up coming down to they're definitely coming down i can see it coming down to something like five percent eventually that's Uh, 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 the reason reason it's interesting because so google and was it was it singapore have been forced to to offer you know, they can't process payments for like their Google Pay service. And all they've done is said, right, if you go and use somebody else, you still need to pay us this money and it makes it higher. Um, they will get, and, and I know Tim Cook said it in one of the legal things this year, we'll get our money one way or other. Mm. We'll just find a different route. You know, they see it as their money. You've bought our phone. You're wanting to put an app on our platform. We're going to get your money. Yeah. Um, and it's a very... I, I don't know. I, I, the, the bit I str- struggle with is they don't do it in the Mac. So that's the bit I always find, like, it's fine saying that as if it's like you use our platform, it's our money. They've got no restrictions around the Mac at all around that. Um, so it's a really, and, and but maybe that's a sign of things to come. There's like five years time, because it, it, that's been the big fear. That when they brought the Apple store onto the Mac and they started 
bringing in a lot of the sandboxing that we're going to just turn it into an iOS world, which is not, you just force people to go, you know, Windows. You know, it's like, this is not where you should be. And Windows is a far more open environment now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, CMA. We've finally got some teeth. Now, I don't know whether this is um, off the back of other regulations that have recently said about repairability and home repairability, um, but Apple are going to, from uh, next year, they're going to be able to sort of have the capability to send you repair tools that will allow you to self-repair your devices. So they will send you the same tools that they would use in their Genius Bar um, or in behind the scenes to fix your products. Uh, they will send them to you and they will be allow you to change your own battery or change your own screen or whatever else it happens to be. Uh, and I think that's a, like I say, I, I seem to remember some regulations saying that devices should be home repairable and maybe this is to comply with that. But nevertheless, it's sort of interesting to bring back Apple into that kind of bodger's market almost people are you know this is this is your device because for so many years again this has been an apple device which effectively you are custodian of but but this sort of says back a bit to hey this is your device so you can do whatever you like with it and we'll give you the tools to help you do it uh, yeah i mean it came, came out of nowhere there is some regulation particularly in america that is getting talked around around that that self-repair route so it almost and it almost feels like a no-brainer in some ways because they do this already for their Oh, what is it? Now there's like an authorized repair network or re, you know reseller network, so you can, you know, you know. So my my iMac broke this week. If I had a local Apple, you know, so I do have two local Apple stores, but I might be I have no local Apple store, but there's an Apple reseller or an Apple repair official, and and they do have the same repair tools. So I don't know if it's just extending that, but it'd be interesting to see the cost. And, and it's it's a good bit of PR because straight away you've just taken away a bit of legal heat. Uh, some of those retailer firms are going to be a bit upset though. Um, I mean, what, I, absolutely. The, the sheer number of videos online that tell you how you can do this and how do you deconstruct a, a Mac laptop or whatever it happens to be, it, you know, it, I, I, the, the the biggest holdback from all doing anything like that yourself has, has constantly been you void your warranty at that point. Now, in this case, you are not voiding your warranty by opening up in this way. Uh, however, any damage which is caused by that process is your responsibility. So you do, as a user, you do own that responsibility for making sure that you're doing things the correct way. And as as advised, you, you open yourself up to a little bit more um, risk, I guess, than you would if you went to the Apple store or to the authorized retailer. Full stop. Jack Storsey has stepped down as t uh, CEO of Twitter. Um, and so he, this has happened before, has it? I, I can't remember the exact sort of history of all this. But anyway, he, he stepped back. Yeah, he stepped back before and then he came back and took reins. But this is him now. I'm done, done. Because And we have seen a lot of twists and turns for Twitter recently. And, and since he took those reins back again, he, he has steered them again in, in the right direction. And, and I guess he's now saying, right, you've got the foundation now. Off you trot and do your thing. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of, I mean, I mean Twitter for me for years did nothing. I mean, they kind of sat on their, their tool set, sat on their API and did nothing. They did worse than that. The they last... shut down innovation by stopping anyone doing anything. <laughs> basically. Yeah, exactly. But the last 18 months, they've, they've definitely flipped flipped a switch, you know, and they are being really aggressive again. Um, and the new guy that takes um, over is Parag Agrawal. Um, I've probably murdered that pronunciation. Um, 
So he's he's the current CTO, has been since twenty seventeen. Um and, and he's already making some he's already making some changes and he's and again we're gonna we're gonna start to come on to it in the next few stories. There's lots of talk around um so Twitter over the last twelve months has talked in the background about trying to become more decentralized. Um and they're looking at some blockchain activity around that and and you know, so Agrawal seemingly is is kind of one of the kind of you know pushing for it in the company, as is Jack Dorsey. So it'd just be interesting to see where that goes. It's also kind of notable that if you look at you know Agrawal now, Sundar Pichai, you know Microsoft head, lots of you know you know Indian origin tech leaders, yeah. you know, and it's quite refreshing to see, you know, because usually it was always just there's a typical white guy. India's you know, been a powerhouse of technology for a long time now, so yeah, yeah. It's, they've certainly been the workhorse of underlying quite a lot of this tech revolution in in IT. Um, yeah yeah and and you know interestingly in parallel with dorsey stepping away from twitter he has stepped up his involvement in square uh, which has uh, recently completed as it was name change to block um and blocks includes things like um, tidal which is a music streaming service which actually got quite a lot of buzz around it at the moment uh, they've got cash up and uh, there's there's uh, square as well which is the, the main offering and basically this is all this is this is retail focused sales channels and e-commerce solutions so whereas something like shopify is more focused around e-commerce online web uh, sales this is things like uh, offering a full you know point of sale terminal software um card transaction terminals all those kind of things so an easy way for shops to provide those kind of services and and now they're going to be known as block uh, and about like facebook felt that you know, everything branded as, you know, Instagram from Facebook and stuff didn't meet where it was going and, and rebranded to Meta is the same way Square felt it had to change. Yeah. You know, so block means a neighborhood, block means blockchain, block means lots of things, but um, yeah, bl- yeah, I've been interested. There's, there's lots of Web3 talk at the moment, which some of it I find interesting, some of it I just think is absolute bollocks. We, so it'll be interesting uh, to see where it goes. They've t- Web3 is so ill-defined, and actually so many things have claimed to be Web3, but we'll we'll see what the consensus is. It's probably one of those things where like archaeologists, archaeologists don't name an age until it's passed because it's not obvious. Yeah. I think that's what ultimately will happen. But yeah, there, there is, there is some interesting movement from these big firms to being even more obscure and ethereal about who and what they are and what the heck they're doing. They've come from this background offering one product, one service, and suddenly it's just a very different thing. And, and we see that so often, you know, in these 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 with these i guess these quick moving tech companies as they start out things like amazon started off selling some books right and now it's effectively the infrastructure of the internet and that who sees all these the directions these go in and it's clever people that see opportunities and these companies do twist turn and change in ever-ending ways which is quite exciting in 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 one way and quite frightening in another it was interesting like you know, so so me and you and lots of others we do set a kind of tech bubble, bubble and we and we just know that kind of stuff. But it was interesting this week explaining to a colleague around around the log four G issue and what Amazon were doing. We're like, why what's it gonna do with Amazon? I had no idea about Amazon hosting, had never come across it mentioned anywhere and I was like, probably ninety percent not ninety, you know, seventy percent of the services you use that aren't Amazon branded, you know, like a if you fire up a new like, to-do list or a web tool or something like that, it's powered on Amazon. 
what do you mean pyrodynamics? I'd say, you know, it was a 10 minute of what cloud hosting was and what all these things were. And it was like a total, whoa. Yeah. They're just, just, yeah, no idea that it existed. And I showed, showed them some web pages and says, this is a big deal of the year. I says, they host so much. I says, it was a, you know, they went down three or four days ago and here's all the services that were impacted. Netflix went down because Amazon went down. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it all like of them that get so massively tied to all these things. It's bunkers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kickstarter is moving into the blockchain or plans to move its cloud funding platform into the blockchain. They're going to do it in several steps. Uh, they've chosen their kind of blockchain protocol they want to do, but they want to decentralize it and make it less, you know, focused on, uh, you know, infrastructure and make it a bit more ethereal, whatever. And it's a big, big um, step into the dark, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, you, and you, you mentioned it around like big companies and where they're, where they're going. I read this and was like, almost felt like saying bye bye Kickstarter, which probably maybe just says where I'm just so cool on a lot of the, the chat around like NFTs and blockchain and, um, it, but you know they they clearly see it as a future. They're going to launch a new organisation. They're going to fund it. It's going to create this new protocol. They're then going to flip to that's how it'll fund Kickstarters, which is like. Are you going to? I mean, because clearly they're not going to force everybody to use, you know, Bitcoin to buy. But uh, it the, still uh, feels a real radical departure from what Kickstarter is as a company today. From an IT perspective and an IT geeky perspective, the blockchain and what they mean is is you know it's fundamentally you know it's fundamentally sound based on mathematics right and i think that's what people love about it and they haven't quite worked out how exactly that's going to work for us but certainly these kind of uh, i know companies are using them for sort of you know their contracts are kind of can be verified off the back of things like blockchains and and it's because it's effectively a verifiable transaction chain so anywhere where you've got transactions that need to be verified that's what blockchains are they're obviously expensive from a processing and energy point of view uh, and it seems you know interesting that kickstarter's chosen a platform that potentially doesn't need mm. as much uh you know effort and energy to verify every single transaction that happens on it um but yeah it's uh a lot of people are seeing this area. They don't quite know how it's going to get used. They don't think it's going away and they want to be there in an area where, so that they can make use of that. Um, I don't think it's just going to be in the, the money front. I think there's going to be, like I say, secure transactions and provable transactions are going to be where it's at. And, and certainly NFTs, as far as ownership of things, giving you, you know, it's a, it's a provable, but it's a provable certificate. Even if it's a physical thing you're owning, it's a certificate of ownership of that. Um, and I know that at the moment they're selling weird stuff like digital ownership, which doesn't seem doesn't fit in with us uh, in any particular meaningful way. But I think there's something in that technology. And like I say, it's got a lot of geeks, a lot, you know, pretty excited because of that. It's the it's about the purity of mathematics almost. It's just quite interesting. And and the, the NFT, but sorry, I don't want to go too off topic because we're going to go long. But NFT, but it's interesting because I was reading the other day there's a there's a, a deviant art artist and he's basically i'm shutting down my deviant site because i'm fed up having to put claims in against people illegally selling my art as nfts mm -hmm. as if like they own it they don't i own it um it's, it's uh, my uh, name against it and, and that's it because every single nf and every single platform gonna have uh you know a, a token to sell exactly. which it says relates to yep. that thing but it's not 
And we've seen, I, I don't know if you've, I, I was going to put some of it in, I was like, I don't want this to go to like NFT, you know, finance, you know, mm. future tech heavy for an end of the year. Um, but there's been a couple of games, like Stalker 2 and Ubisoft, have been talking about how they were going to start to um, NFT, you know, you know, digital assets and games. And it's been a real kickback, you know, Stalker 2. Within two days, we're like, right, we've heard the community. Clearly, this is not the direction we should be going in. Ubisoft still doubling down. There was another, there was another, um, there was another game, I can't remember what it is, and they've, they've backed out of doing it as well. But then Peter Molyneux, who you'll, you'll remember from like, you know, was it Bullfrog? Was Bullfrog the company? I'm now thinking I've said that and I might be wrong, um, but I've got my clacky clacky keyboard out and I'm not going to check. Lionhead so, Studios. <laughs> Lionhead Studios, yep. So he was he was behind like uh, Magic Carpet and you know lots of games back well, in the he Syndicate. Did, he did Fable. He did. Fable but as before well. that, he was Populous and played Populous. Like yeah. uh, Black and White was his game. It was a massive yep. god game. So he's so he announced um, he announced earlier this week that his next game was all going to be around NFTs, and within three days he'd already raised forty million. Mm. he's a vision he's certainly a visionary like, but he's always claimed to be a visionary well he's he claims he's a visionary but he's often beyond his time uh yeah it's a he's a he's the ultimate evolution of what meta is now which is you know the metaverse is all about the vision of the future and when you look at the implementation today it's just oh god it's a bit scrappy um this will bring us back down to earth a bit but phil spencer has had to come out and and tell his staff that he's deeply troubled by news coming out from activision blizzard so i haven't I haven't followed this story, but I do know that there was there was inappropriate behaviour from management and uh, mistreatment of staff, um, and all sorts of news and stories coming out of Blizzard. Obviously, Microsoft recently bought Blizzard and Activision to buy all their back catalogue, but this is now hitting and and obviously gives a real bad view of of this company. And Microsoft are basically saying, right, we need to step in and 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 sort this out for you. Um, yes, and Sony have come out and said very similar things, and Nintendo have also come out and said very similar things. So it's, you know, you know, people are actively boycotting some of their games. You know, if you looked at the recent Game Awards, they were almost non-existent. You know, it was almost like as if the company didn't exist. Um, they need to. There's a. There's a. It's it's a well documented, you know, known toxic culture, and they need to address it. It's, 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 I, th I think the games and and whilst Activision Blizzard is in the spotlight and and clearly there's some disturbing stories coming out of that. I think there's the games industry for many years has been for has all, been. all yep. sorts of different reasons, whether that's sexism, um, you know, uh, bullying, um, almost slave laborish kind of. I know that Rare well, Rare went through a whole massive scandal where all their employees left because they said whilst we produce these amazing games, it's not worth the human cost. No. Well, there's that whole thing around, you know, crunch. You know, it's like you're you're ten weeks out, or four months out, or you know, six months out. Um, you know, you're you're sleeping here, you're working here. You're expected no to be here twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah. Literally, you you need you need to finish this game. Um, so who was the who were the folk behind Cyberpunk? They'd said we won't do a crunch, and then six months before it, or three months before it came out, it was like we need to do a crunch. Yeah, it's. Yeah, and and it's kind of yeah, um, births, deaths, marriages, few, you know, anything is not doesn't matter at those times, and it, it like I say, it's very, it's very anti-person or anti-people um, for a product, and, and it's, I, it's quite ugly. And I think you know, so we're outside, we're outside that game industry, so we're all thinking, you know, I'm not saying we're all thinking, but you think they're on like huge, you know, six-figure salaries, and a lot of them are, no. a lot of them are 
You know, it's it's not normal but, humdrum salaries. QA testers, you know, they're not getting paid six figure salaries. And it's one of those things where, it, from the outside, it sounds amazing to be making games. It's yeah. it, it, it's yep. a bit like being in the music industry. It sounds amazing to be in the music industry, but the reality is that they often then therefore rely on that that. Uh, love and passion that people have by just saying yeah do it for the love and passion not for the money um meta has released social vr space horizon world so this is the thing that's that's been in i think over a year in their own private internal testing and i think they've shown it a few times on some of their kind of key you know key announcements um but they have now released this product and this is this is basically a fun like a foundational game which allows people to build and make games within it kind of again like that kind of second life thing and we've seen it from um is it roblox does something like this i've never really played that game or really know what's in there but uh whereas roblox you can create money from your creations at the moment you won't be able to do that inside of the uh horizon worlds yeah but i think but i think the indication is they're looking to do that to get people on first footing and then they'll start to put the payment methods in place and do that other thing so interesting to see where this goes um i think it's only america at the moment so if you've got a quest 2 you can you know blog into horizon world start creating start sharing um so yeah again the second life creators must be kicking themselves again they were a decade too early weren't they it feels like i guess decade too early in the technology is now just starting to land where you know a quest is a two three hundred quid product that you can just throw on and yeah you know, there's no no big technical you know feat to you want to use it new app store um xbox created a 20th anniversary museum all around its xbox live that's been around for or the xbox been around for 20 years um and i i had a i did i have to say i went into it briefly on my mobile but it was pretty tricky to navigate and and it didn't end up doing it on my desktop which i think is where it ends up being but it kind of covers off uh, all the main story points of all the releases they've had in the xbox universe and even covers some of the the worst times where things like the red ring of death and all that kind of stuff uh they're not shying away from the history that they have created as they've gone uh, no i thought it was a neat wee a neat wee thing to put together because i've clearly got all that data and i've wrapped wrapped that kind of again like it, it felt like you wanted to put a vr headset on to to move around and then it would have been really spectacular um but no it was it was nicely done the other the other thing just to call out um and i've watched the first one and i and i, and I pretty enjoyed it they've got a six-part um like documentary on youtube called yeah. power on and it's all about the xbox and and at first i thought this is just going to be like a puff piece they've got all the main players okay. it's like a proper proper you know it's like almost like as if you know bbc had done it or netflix have done it they've, they've really invested in it it's really high quality so the um, i actually really enjoyed that because it's something that we have we've grown up through you know it's like it's something we know but it's almost like the inside story of how they and, and some of that has been shared before so they've done edge has been really good at getting some of these guys to you know retrospective here's how we got this through bill gates here's the the, the risks we had to take here's how we convinced microsoft to to you know bet on gaming it's really not going to cost you very much money promise 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 okay can we have some more money <laughs> God, that's and it'll be interesting to see if the later ones i don't know how if it's going to go through the whole life because there was a bit there was a bit about sort of when the xbox one was starting to fail um there was rumors that microsoft were like they were just going to kill the hardware you know they were it was like this isn't this isn't for us and i remember um i remember um what's his face when uh, phil spencer came in and they started changing it 
And then you had such and then Elwood actually come out saying we are fundamentally, this is a fundamental tenant that we are behind. We are fully invested. That's right. In they, they got extremely shaky at one point as far as that turn off. And yeah, they, they ended up backing away from that and saying, no, this is part of who we are. Yeah. yeah. And Halo has been a big part of that throughout the years. And we've just had the campaign game um, launch um, for real. And we've had the online game for uh, a few weeks now. Um, and... I, it's, it, I, I'm not sure. I haven't made my opinion up yet on the latest Halo. I, I have good times with it and I have bad times, but then that's been the same for me with Halo all through the uh, the years. So for me, the, so, so I think the first thing to say, considering how it how it previewed last year and was, was ridiculed, um, it's clearly they've used the last year in a bit well. And it's actually reviewed very highly. So if you look at the, I can't remember where the Metacritic ended up, but I think in day one it was like it was like high eighties, low nineties. It was like a resounding hit. Um, and certainly the ones that I bothered reading, because um, some I don't want to read too much about it. I want to just go and enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it, it looked it looked great. Single player. I think I've said to you, well, you know, but I've said to others before, I'm not 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 where I get my game and enjoyment now. Um, but I've actually enjoyed going through. I think that's the first sort of two, three levels, and it is very open world. You kind of do feel like you can just go and there's still bits where it is very much on rails because you're on a guided path through a ship or a guided path through a, this element of gameplay. But it was never going to be hundred percent open. But you do have choices which you couldn't have in the past. It uh, was always and a... they do a good job of steering you and you know steering you into a guided path that then gets you out and it's it's open again. Or you can give up halfway through if that's what you want to do. But but ultimately, all those kind of open world games steer you to a point where you start a, an activity and then it is more controlled to give you that storyline and the story development. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm still playing through the, the single player and I'm enjoying it. I like the fact that you can attack and you can decide how you want to approach a situation from many different angles and you can achieve the same goals in all sorts of different ways and having vehicles, not having vehicles, having big weapons, not having them and all those kind of things. So every single encounter can be very different. It's it's kind of samey in that it's the same environment, uh, same enemies that you're coming across only occasionally you're coming across sort of boss characters so they've implemented boss characters in a kind of a nice way this time um and it's they're given names and a little bit of backstory or whatever and or some levels are specifically aimed towards working towards them to go and kill them or whatever and yeah i i enjoy that um so yeah i'm still enjoying being part of that i i there, there is an element of it it does feel a bit samey and and also feels like you have these action points where you get action and then there's quite a lot of move you know just traversing the map in between which is a little bit more choresome uh especially after you you know think but then again you, you quite often discover a new weapon drop or whatever and it's kind of interesting but um yeah I, i'm gonna definitely finish off that campaign though as i have with every other campaign of halo and online world like I say it's a, it's a different thing at the moment but then again it's not a mature uh, product at the moment we've only just got some new um, playlists that we've been asking for since the uh, beta was released and and yeah it's just starting to feel a bit more fully fledged and it's going to take a while to get used to it um but one thing they have done is nailed it for the pros as far as they're all happy that they've got something new to play with and they're busy doing tournaments and earning money and living off of it again which is what they've been crying out for the last six years for and i've been joining multiplayer um the new i, I... I think that there's some bits of it 
that are notably it's all over the internet, it don't need us to tell you. So it's like, you know, I think the battle pass and the grind is is just it's just too aggressive. Um and you can see people that have just, you know, they've spent money because there's no way they've ground, they've ground through the game within a couple of days. You know, weird. I almost see that as acceptable. To be fair, I, yeah, I, like I, I said, that's... like I said to you, I'm going to give up on the grind and just let. I don't care about all that stuff. Yep, no, agreed. Um, but I actually think the core gameplay is really solid. Um, you know, we've not seen massive. You know, if you think back to there's been massive issues in the past where we've seen like you know lag or even like day one launches just being you know battlefield still you know it just looks a mess just looks an absolute hot mess four weeks in um they've really landed as well um i think the new playlist again just just really let you then just get ah oh, if i'm tired of this it's like well let's go and do it's some swap tactical as it's now called yeah. and you know you do change your gameplay style um maps there's not many and from what I can understand, we don't get any more till May. So there's definitely... Yeah. Maps a... was always a bad thing for them in the last game. They got really stuck on yeah. not producing new maps and then left the same game content for nearly a decade, which is a long time to be playing the same maps. Um, I'm sure they will correct it, but their timelines, especially because they've had to spend so long making sure the game could release, they haven't had the chance to start building up that ongoing content. And really, that is only for May uh, when we're going to start seeing the first drops of real changes in the in the way way things are offered and, and delivered yeah and i think that's when we have a true test because if they if they drop one new map you'd be like wow you know you need it needs it, it to me it needs like a you know three to five maps it needs to be a significant content drop and then do that yeah again in november by may we know, are going to be playing for six months and we'll want something a bit yeah. fresh and new um and yeah so will the pros you know they'll have done a tournament with the original maps and and yeah for me the sandbox nature of it is it's massive plus and it's massive negative on the on the online stuff it is extremely variable as to whether you're going to have i mean games come in three types it's rarely in between it's you either get absolutely stomped on you absolutely stomp on your opponents or you have this incredibly close encounter which is it's exciting and real to and fro and real every single shot counts and it's it's kind of I would say it's more rare to have that middle phase, which is the one you're aiming for, than it is the two on the extremes. Um, and it is, you know, I, again, we were talking about this last night. It's quite nice every now and again to stomp on your opponents and have an easy time and just feel like you're a hero. Um, yet I still, even even in the 4v4 kind of scenario, I still feel those, it, you come to one of the two extremes quite quickly. You're either being stomped or stomping. It's not yet that often that we're having games that are massively close although they do happen and you can see the the excitement when that does happen it gets tense and you know everything like i say everything is shot matters um, yeah so we've had a couple we've had a couple in the smaller ones but also in big team where we've had like the you know it's like two what is it control zones mm. like it's not control zones what's the, there was a, there's some name that it gets um and we've had like two each you know and, we're, and we've just sneaked it or we've just lost it and it does feel very you know, yeah. it just feels very even. But then there's other ones you just have lost three now really quickly. You're like, geez, what's yeah, happened yeah, to you? Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, we're not in a massive party. You're not influencing the game. You know, so you moan about it. I mean, we had one last night where it's like everybody's shooting at folk inside, taking the zone. It's like, you need to be inside, guys. You know, it's like great that you're getting some kills, but you've lost this game. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I genuinely, yeah, exactly. I genuinely really am enjoying it. Um, considering what what we saw a year ago and all the kind of fear and doubt around it, I think they've done a really good job. Yep, agreed. And it is a spectacular game. 
and you know the fact that we just expect it to be spectacular that you know it's impossible job for them to meet but i think they've met our expectations well and they've come up with a a stomper and stomper that has actually got legs it feels like it's got somewhere to go and it's still stuff to unlock and discover as we go and and they've been responsive to doing that even though they must be exhausted and knackered from from their crunch um so yeah good for them i think that's it we're done we're done we spent an hour we're done for the year done for now um so info at digitaloutbox.com if you want to email us over christmas um twitter we're digitaloutbox if you want to tweet us and if you want to get hold of the show notes or whatever digitaloutbox.com is our website i'm on twitter as cheesy uk ian where do we find you uh, well if you are listening to this it means i've got my mac back and i've actually done some editing <laughs> um and you can find me at iandick.com lovely Hopefully that'll happen. And next year you'll have your own tools to do it for yourself. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to us this year. Really appreciated. And uh, we'll be back in the new year after, a, well, I'd say a short break, but we keep having short breaks. So <laughs> we'll be back with the next episode. Some point, Some point around CES is normally when we spark Easter. into life again. <laughs> Easter. <laughs> All right. I'll see you then. Turkey to do first, then I mean chocolate. Turkey, then chocolate. Not at the same time. That sounds like a MasterChef thing.